Lord Jesus, you promised us that when two or more gather in your name, here you are in the midst of them. We worship you, Lord, and we thank you for being here with us in the Spirit. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that today we walk in your freedom. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. But greater than that, you loved us first and gave up your life for us. Thank you. With all our being, Lord, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. And thank you for what you're going to do for us. We love you, Lord. And we honor you in this place. You're the head over everything that has breath in this place. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, today, in Jesus' name, that we are strengthened today. We are strengthened in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. That we can walk with full assurance that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that we are victorious. For you transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your son that you love. Thank you that we are no longer in darkness but the kingdom of your son. Thank you, Jesus. You've done everything for us and by faith we receive it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You can all be seated. Oof. How are we all today? We are good? Amen. Thank you for coming. It's an honor to do life together in Christ, but most of all, we're coming here under His name. He is the truth that holds us together, and He deserves all the glory. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I have some announcements to do, some exciting announcements. Next Wednesday, we are doing baptisms here in this place. Thank God. We bought a rubber pool. Hopefully it doesn't burst. <laughs> we bought a rubber pool. <laughs> so we're going to do baptisms in here. Um, that's what um, me and Pastor Tony and my wife and Janet, we spoke about it. And we like to keep everything here. Um, so we will do baptisms in this place. Um, so whoever would like to get baptized, um, it's your decision. And it will be an honor to do life together in Christ. Um, it's not about religion. This is your life with Christ. The Bible says repent and be baptized. The first encounter you have with the Lord is to know that you're a sinner and you're in need of a savior. And then by faith you go in the water and Jesus Christ cleanses you from an evil conscience. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 is a very, very powerful teaching about baptism. 
and why you need to get baptized. So if you want to read that in your own time, for all the people that have been waiting for weeks, I apologize. For the people that messaged me and I didn't get back to them, I apologize also. Um, but we'll be doing baptisms on a Wednesday. So bring some spare clothes and prepare your heart for the Lord because once you get in that water, you're a new creation. Amen? Amen. You're a new creation. All things have passed away. So this is not about a, a parade or about a show. This is your life, your salvation. Amen. The next, the next exciting uh, the next exciting thing I want to speak about is we're, we're going to be fasting. I don't know how exciting that is, but... <laughs> we're going to be fasting. <laughs> it's good. We're going to be fasting from this Sunday night till Sunday morning. So, so a lot... I normally fast alone, but I feel led to invite you um, to fast. Um, it's very important that you do. Um, I encourage every person that hasn't fasted before, maybe start off with a 24-48 hour fast, just water, nothing else, no coffee. You know, I met this guy before and I, he said, I'm fasting. And he had a jug of coffee in his hand. I said, my, I said, my friend, can I have your coffee? And I said, So, no. so, so the proper way to fast is um, uh, food, uh, no food, just water, or no food, no water. And people fast up to three days, no food, no water. I, I normally focus on fast, just water, nothing else. No, no salts, no pink salts, nothing. Just, just water. You do it the right way, amen? It's not about getting it all right. It's about obeying God. And obviously, not only He blesses your body spiritually, but physically you get blessed also. Keeps your body healthy. So God covered both aspects, spiritual and physical. Now you just have to fast. Please don't complain when you fast. Don't complain about me either. <laughs> Please, I'm doing you... Um, I'm, Leading the way, because that is the way. Um, so whoever wants to fast, whatever day you have chosen in your heart, if you want to follow seven days, you're more than welcome. But whatever day you have chosen in your heart, before you fast, obey it. Whether it's one day, two days, three days, five days, seven days, you lock in a time and you say, I'm going to break it at this day. doesn't matter if you feel like you're going to die because you haven't eaten or you can't... Uh, Maintain your day, you, you stay to it. Because the true fast is that it's blessed when you obey the day that you have put in your heart. Because someone says, you know, I want to fast as long as I can. Believe me, that night you'll break it. It's, tr it's true. Someone said to me, you know, like, someone said to me, uh, you know, I'll fast as long as I can. Six o'clock in the evening, ten hours later, they're eating. So I just give you some encouragement. The longer fasts are very fruitful and, and they are very powerful, especially when you're going through things. I can't tell you how powerful praying and fasting is. 
Actually, I'll share something quickly, and then I'll get into it. So I'm a person of prayer and fasting. Probably my whole seven years to eight years, I've been very heavy on prayer and fasting. And I can't tell you every night when I was, every night where I go around the pool and in the front of my driveway to pray in the spirit while I'm fasting, I'll see like beams of light get shot into the sky. And I can't tell you how many times this happened to me that I'll see like beams, I'll see like beams of light getting shot into the heavens from where I'm standing. And it's a picture, it's a picture of what happens when you're in the attitude of prayer and fasting. It's like there is no more hindrances blocking you from moving forward. And I share that as a person. I can't tell you how many experiences I had through prayer and fasting with the Holy Spirit, with God's angels and with God speaking to me. So if, if you want to if you want to walk in this ministry by the grace of God and you don't like fasting, you will struggle. Because the life of Christ is about praying and fasting, meditating on God's word. Amen. So we'll be fasting Sunday night to Sunday morning anytime. If you make a decision in your heart to fast one day, just keep it. Amen. Two days, just keep it. Okay? Amen. And, and, and bless me while you're fasting also. <laughs> All right. We'll get into it. So are we ready for tonight? Very, very powerful. Okay. So as you can see here, I've been speaking about the anointing oil. The anointing oil. And we can all remember about the anointing oil of what they used to do, what they used to do when they used to go, when they used to go into war. Uh, you want to preach? Come. Okay. So, so everyone's been tuning in to um, the Wednesday teachings about the anointing oil. Yes or no? Hands up who have been here every week listening to the anointing oil. Okay, so the anointing oil, what they used to do in the Old Testament, is they used to anoint the shield before war. We remember that, yeah, that I spoke about it? It was the four-cornered shield, meaning it covers you in every aspect, and there's a sh there, there is a place in the position of your heart, so that, and, and also in the position of prayer, so that when you kneel down, you, when you kneel down, you can see the enemy from far, and also, when you kneel down, you can see the enemy inside your heart. And also, you can see what's inside your heart. We all remember that, right? So the attitude of prayer, the, the attitude of watchfulness and prayer, allows you to have an eye in the spirit to see. Yes, we're in agreement. So Paul kept saying, may the eyes of your spirit be enlightened. And that means that May your, your spirit has spiritual eyes to see what's happening inside your heart and what's happening from the outside in your life. And when you have an attitude of prayer and fasting, sorry, when you have an attitude of prayer and watchfulness, guess what? Guess what happens? You can begin to see what the enemy has done in your heart. You can begin to see what the enemy has done from the outside. 
and you can begin to see your own heart. And last week I spoke about the major, the, 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 the greatest aspect of people losing oil and being found with no oil is they lacked prayer life. So they weren't established in their prayer life. The other one was they weren't established in the fear of God. They didn't have the fear of God. And what does the fear of God produce? It allows you to hate one major thing. What is it? Pride. Pride. See, when you have pride, I deserve better, you go and search for it outside. So we covered uh, watch and pray. We covered the fear of God. These were the major aspects that allowed them to have no oil when Jesus comes back. And they were refused entry. They were refused entry into the wedding, the feast. Now, can I say something to you? That's the gospel. That is the true gospel. That there are going to be people that claim to believe in Jesus that didn't go to heaven. There are going to be obedient people that claim to follow Jesus that did go to heaven. That's the gospel. Okay? You have to have the best of both worlds. No one wants to think about it, but it's the truth. There is a living hell and there is a living heaven. And can I say something to you like this? Why did Jesus speak so much about hell more than anyone in the old and the new? Why? Why did he really speak like that? And this means that each one of us has free will to live how we want to. So there are people that operate in condemnation, guilt and unworthiness, and they're hell preachers. There are people that are hyper-grace, never speak about hell. We have to have the best of both worlds. And this is the balance that God wants us to have. Okay? So what allowed those people, the five foolish and the five wise, the foolish ones, they lacked oil and they were refused entry into the wedding. And Jesus says, go away, I don't know you. And what a scary statement to hear, right? Whenever we read that scripture, we want to quickly skip that chapter and keep going on. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit keeps taking me to the harder scriptures to speak about it because there's a fine balance for a believer. Okay? So number one, Prayer, watch and pray, allows you to see the enemy from far. In a, kneeling, in a kneeling posture, meaning you're in the attitude of prayer, you can have a sharp discernment, you can have a wisdom to understand how you are to protect yourself. Now all these pieces of the armor or the anointing oil is designed to protect you. You have to understand. So just prepare your hearts for today. Today is a blessing, thank God. Prepare your hearts. Okay. Can we go to Matthew 25, 1 to 13? As you know, for the last, this is my third week now, I've been speaking from this and then going into where God's leading me. So Psalms 25, Verse 1 to 13. We'll read it. Matthew 25. 
It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were foolish and five of them, uh, sorry, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us. Selves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Okay. So let's go to the next treasure of the anointing oil. So the, person, the, the five foolish that had no oil, when they saw Jesus, what did they lack? They lacked watch and prayer, they lacked to see their heart, to see the enemy, and to change, and they lacked the fear of God. Now, for someone to lack the fear of God, what does this person operate in? Pride. Flesh, sin, evil, selfishness. Remember, the major, the major topic about why Jesus died on the cross, so you don't live for yourself anymore. Okay, envy, that's a very big one. Okay, and this one is a treasure, probably the most important one. Out of all, out of out of every piece of the anointing oil, this one's probably the most important one, and the most powerful one. Thank you, Jesus, in advance, because it's the Holy Spirit that allowed us to see this. Amen. So we go to Psalms twenty-three, verse one to six. Okay, let's have a look. This is in the Amplified Version. I read a lot from the Amplified Version because it gives it a, a bit more detail. It's pretty good. It's pretty accurate as well. So let's go to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not want. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still and quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul, my life. He leads me in the path of righteousness for sake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now this is a beautiful that probably every believer knows. We're going to see what it actually means. Now that Psalms, the Holy Spirit showed me many years ago what it actually means. But I'm preaching about the oil for the head. And what is it symbolic today for us today? Okay. We go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. So this is Paul's teachings. And let's read it here. <clears throat> now, one of the most important armors that you are to carry on earth, that the life that Christ has given you, is probably the one, the one most important one is the one that I'm going to speak about today. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fury darts of the wicked one. Now, remember that shield? What's that shield? Watch and pray and fear of God. Okay? How can you really shield the devil? The devil have no accusation against you if you're truly operating in the fear of God. Because when you have the fear of God, you hate what is evil and you will cling to what is good. Okay? Next one. And take the helmet of salvation. That's what he got anointed with, was the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay? So what does, what does the helmet of salvation actually mean? Huh? And it will allow you to see, see it so much now, differently. Okay, so the word helmet in the Greek, 4030, it's periclephalia. Periclephalia, that's the word. And the, helm, the word means a helmet of protection of the soul, which consists in the hope of salvation. So the helmet is hope, your hope. I'll go a bit deeper. So the helmet of salvation is the oil of joy and gladness and hope. Okay, let me show you this treasure here in Nehemiah. We go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 to 12. Now, you know, you know how everyone quotes, the joy of the Lord is your strength? Yes? Yeah, it's from this chapter. That the joy of the Lord is your strength, it's from this chapter. The Holy Spirit sh shared with me yesterday that Jesus is hidden in here. Jesus Christ is hidden in here. And the Holy Spirit told me after five years of my journey that, um, that I can now read the Old Testament. For five didn't let me go to the Old Testament. And to be honest, I didn't want to because I was fixated on the Gospel. I was fixated on the New Testament. 
So for five years, he told me, now you can go and read the Old Testament. And he said this to me. He said, now I'm going to show you Jesus Christ from the old. And it's amazing that any believer, any person who is non-Christian will read this and say that Jesus is the answer and the meaning of life. Look here. So I'll break it down slowly, okay? So let's read it here. And this is regarding the anointing oil of hope, joy, and gladness. Now all the people gather together as one. Now here these little treasures in nearly every sentence. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. Now, let's look at this scripture. We go quickly to John chapter 7. 38. Look what it says here. He came out from the water gate. He was speaking from the water gate. Look what it says here in John chapter 7, verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, a gate in the Old Testament is symbolic of a heart. Okay, so we're on the same page here, everyone? Yeah, you're going to see Jesus here from the Old Testament. Um, we'll go back to Nehemiah I think it's uh, 8.2 so Ezra so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear understanding and all can hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month now we stop there Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Look what it says here. Can we go back to that? Sorry. Can we go back to that one there? What was he doing? Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Now Ezra, Ezra means, his name means aid or help. His name Ezra means Aid or help? He is your aid or he is your help? Now pay attention. We'll come together. Go quickly to Matthew 5.17. Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Now we go back to Nehemiah. He's going to fulfill it here. Then he read from, then he read from in, a, in the open square that was in front of the water gate. From morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand and the ease of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Go to Matthew 13, 16 to 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now this links up straight with this book here. So Ezra, who is Ezra? He is your help or, and he is your aid. And what is he reading? He's reading the law that they couldn't fulfill. 
they were crying. But it's amazing how Jesus is glorified here. Amen? <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Look here. So he read the law. So aid or your help read the law and look where he read it from. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood. Showing him the law, <laughs> the law is not going to save you. I'm your aid. I am going to help you. So the word Ezra in the Hebrew means to aid you or to help you. And as they were re as they were proclaiming the 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 law of Moses, they were crying. Now look here. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. What purpose? That Jesus will fulfill the law. Isn't that amazing? Unbelievable. Isn't that amazing? For that day, he's showing them that I'm going to come to save them. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him at his right hand stood Matitia and look what the word Matthia means. The word in the Hebrew, you want to know what it means? Gift from God. Next one. Shema. Shema. <laughs> this Shema means announcement of God or God's report. What was he reporting? Your aid will come on the cross. And they're announcing it. One by one's announcing it. Every name is announcing the coming of Jesus. How he will come and he will save us. It is very powerful. So, number one, gift from God or a present from God. That's his name. Number two, Shema, announcement or God's report. He is the Father's report. Number three, Ananiah, God has answered. Number four, number four, Urijah, the flame and the light of God. Hilkiah, the portion of God or the inheritance of God. The inheritance of God. Look, it's accident. But when you read it with the Holy Spirit, it's a treasure. Amen? Huh? Okay. So, Matidia, a gift from God or a present from God. Shema, the announcement or God's report. Ananiah, God has answered. Urijah, flame and light of God. Hilkiah, the portion of God or the inheritance of God. Messiah, the work of God. And now we go here. And at his left hand, Padia. Padia means God has ransomed. Mishio. Who is, who is what God is? Almighty, strength, strong, and power. What is the helmet of your salvation? It's Jesus. What he done for you at the cross. Anyways, I keep going. Melchiah. Melchiah means the king that is appointed by God. Hashem. 
Hasha meaning he is wealthy, firm in all his resources. Hashbadana. God is a considerate judge. He gave Jesus. They were reading the law and they were crying. And he's saying, you have a considerate judge that will plead your case. <laughs> oh, Jesus. He's good. Amen. Hallelujah. Zechariah, God has remembered. God has remembered. Remembered what? The platform when Jesus will go to the cross for you. Meshelam, God is your peace. God restored. God is your friend. To be safe in mind, body, and to be complete. That's what the last name means. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus, he is your joy. Jesus, nothing what he gives, nothing of what comes from him. He, he, Jesus Christ, he is your joy. In him, he holds everything. Uh, we keep going. Now look at this. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. <laughs> and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I like to read this scripture. Okay, I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Uh, next scripture. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabithiai, Hodisha, Masiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Next. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Understand what? That Jesus Christ is your peace. Jesus Christ will come and restore mankind. And Nehemiah, 
And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy. Which day? Jesus on the cross. Which day is holy? Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Next. They, then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. When Jesus went to the cross, yeah, you, you ate from him. And then you were instructed to go and preach it to the world. Understand? For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is your strength? Jesus on the cross. That is your strength. What is the helmet of salvation that you wear? That, the, that Jesus Christ ransomed you. That is your joy. That is your hope. That is the oil of gladness. To never forget what Jesus done for you. Isn't that beautiful? You see how that hidden treasure in the book there? Amen. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 5. Look how it links up with Nehemiah. Look how it links up, showing you that the joy... The joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus on the cross is your strength. Look what it says in the New Testament, Paul's teachings. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 5. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. And let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. Now, can I say something to you here? What allows you here, by, what allows you here to strip off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily, cleverly entangles you when you know what Jesus has done for you at the cross? When you know this, you will naturally cooperate with him. The highest price that God the Father paid for you that is the key of knowing how much Jesus loved you how compassionate and merciful he was to you allows you as a result to strip off every unnecessary weight of sin which cleverly and easily entangles us that is the key the helmet of salvation is the key of knowing how much Jesus died for you and that is your joy, that someone ransomed you and someone loves you and cares for you. That is the key of complete change. See, the man that produced no fruit, remember that everyone was given a coin and the one at the end, he produced no fruit. Why he produced no fruit? He produced no fruit to change. Why? 
because he knew God to be a hard man. See, the issue with so many people not changing today is they see God as a hard man. Yes, there is a fine balance, but before judgment, there's mercy. Before condemnation, there's love. You have to choose what Jesus has done. He took that from you. He restored you. He changed you. So you have to understand that before there's condemnation, before there's guilt, before there is sorrow, before there is hurt, there is Jesus Christ. He restored and paved the way for all of us. So what allows you to change is when you know the love of God. That is the key. And what does Satan attack? He attacks that helmet. If he can take the love away from you, then you naturally have no joy. And when you don't have joy, how can you change? How can you pray? How can you walk? Can I ask you something? What is your fuel every day to follow God? Believe me, if you don't have this joy in you, you'll be burnt out very quick. And then you'll be forcing yourself to hold on to him. So look here what it says here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. Now he's showing you here now, the first part is overcoming sin. Now the first part is overcoming sin. Now he's talking about your journey sustaining, where you're walking and you're not stumbling anymore. What is the key for that? What is the key for that? Joy. Because guess what happens when struggles and challenges come and you don't have joy? How can you overcome? Many people, they get burnt out in this area. They get burnt out. There's no more fuel because the helmet is not on. They haven't understood what Jesus done at the cross for them. And they haven't understood where the helmet leads. See, in this chapter here, in Hebrews chapter 12, that's the helmet of salvation. That's the joy of the Lord is our strength. But where does it lead after that? Where does it lead? It, tell, it speaks after this verses here, it speaks about God's discipline. And imagine you don't have joy and you're undergoing discipline. So many people are bitter. So many people are resistant. So many people are struggling because they don't understand that the crown leads to discipline. The anointing oil of joy, once you know how much he loves you, it leads to what? Dealing with sin. Then he speaks about persistence. Ne next one, please. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Now, how can you be brought to maturity if you struggle to know that God loves you? Because it's that love on the cross that brings joy. The Bible says that we say with joy that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God ever again. So what does the devil attack? He attacks joy. If he can steal your joy, your journey will be very difficult to walk. Because where there's no joy, there's no more persistence for you to walk, especially when trials and challenges come your way. 
So look what it says here. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus. Not on the blessings. Not the things that he can give you. It's on him. And if you're able to focus on Jesus Christ, then you're able, you're able to walk with him. There's no expectation anymore but to walk with him. Now look what it says here. Who brings our faith to maturity. What brings you to maturity? Joy. Because joy allows you to be unbreakable. You can go through trials, you can go through challenges, you can go through hardship, you can go through persecution, you can go through sin to know that it's going to work out for the good. Look what it says here. Who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. You see Nehemiah there? How is inscripted there? That the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross here. You see how they match together? Yes? Okay. So the word, the word joy from the Esau is 5463. And you know what the word means? The word means God's speed. You know what God's speed means? It means, may God cause you to succeed and prosper in your journey. Now imagine someone walking and, and they are walking in the opposite of joy. What's the opposite of joy? Anyone? What's the opposite of joy? What's that, sorry? Depression? A bit more di different. Starts with B. Bitterness. What does Paul warn you of when God is disciplining you? Be careful, lest any root of bitterness. Once bitterness gets inside, you're in trouble. <laughs> What's the opposite of bitterness? Joy. What does joy do? Leads you to maturity. What does bitterness do? Complain, murmur, disobedience. God destroys you in the wilderness. <laughs> Can you understand? Why so many people struggle in their journey? Because they don't have joy. And you know why they don't have joy? Because they don't truly understand what Jesus done for them at the cross. When you understand that you're a new creation, this means my life is fully for him. When the enemy comes, hold on to your life. A bit of Jesus, a bit of the sin, a bit of the world, a bit of its desires. And so many people struggle to lay down their life. And then their journey becomes what? Bitter. Frustrated. Empty. Everything's hard. Challenging to walk with God. No, with joy it's not a challenge, because with joy you know the process, you know what he, how much he loved you, and you know where you're going. See, Satan attacks that place. He attacks what Jesus done at the cross, and he attacks where you're going. He takes these two from you, then you become a person of the world. 
See, when you know when you don't when you when you don't know what Jesus done at the cross, and when you and when you don't know what's awaiting you, guess what happens? You become a person of the Canaanite man. He can only see for the world. He can only see for the world. So, what's the most important shield that you are to carry today? What allows you to undergo trials? What allows you to undergo discipline? What allows you to overcome sin? What allows you to prepare for your calling? It's joy. And where does that joy come from? Where Jesus done at the cross for you. Now the word the word joy means to thrive. It's amazing, isn't it? The word joy means to calmly be happy. The word joy means to be well off and to rejoice. Now isn't it interesting that if Satan can attack your joy, naturally you become bitter and the whole pattern begins to take place. Complaining, murmuring, Difficult, challenging, and a lot of people, I believe, they're operating in this place. They are operating in this place. Is so many people haven't understood the mystery to walk and to be sustained, meaning not to store your vehicle, not to store your vehicle. You know, someone would think, you know, that. If the joy, if the joy of the Lord is not my strength, then I have to get it from someone else. Are you listening? So if the joy of the Lord is not your strength and not understanding what Jesus died on the cross for, guess what happens? You have to get joy from somewhere else. And there Satan is, offering you the world, offering you sin, offering you temptation, offering you the pride of life, because people need joy. Some people have joy in the world, some people have joy for Christ. But you have to understand, if Satan can steal the joy of not, not knowing what you, he done for you and not knowing where you're going, guess what happens? You're offered something else. Do you get it? You're offered something else. You don't just go after the world for no reason. I'm very firm in this area. You don't just get seduced into the world or seduced into sin. Or seduced into self. When you know what is under the cross and when you know what's awaiting you, naturally you don't look outside. But what happens, how the enemy works, he steals your joy, your journey's hard, and then you get a fleshly joy, a worldly joy. And you start to feed on other things that are not from Christ. How many people today are looking for joy? You know what blessed my heart in my journey? That when I started to pray, I, I understood the process of what I need to become in Christ. And the, the first picture was a love story. Yeah? The second picture, it's not a love story. It's a discipline. But I knew the love. Why? Because I knew what Jesus had done for me. So first knowing love, then accepting discipline. That was the next stage for me. And look what happens here. Can we go back to Hebrews? Look what happens here. In, 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 in systematical way, you deal with sin first. Yeah? Stripping off sin. Cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance. Now we're walking towards something else. Yes? 
the race that is set before us. Next one. Looking away from all that will distract us and focus our eyes on Jesus, who is the author, perfecter of our faith, the first incentive for your belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal. What's that speak about? Kingdom. You see, sin, sin, you see what it says here? Sin, looking from everything after that that distracts us, then the kingdom awaits you. But you see the system of what joy does? Joy allows you first to overcome sin. Then it allows you to overcome anything that will distract you. Then you're given a goal. You're given responsibility. You're given responsibility. I can be responsible with the gospel now. And then God begins to use you. Can you see it? So if there's any aspect, imagine you have the sword, you know, the armor. The next armor is the anointing shield of the sword. Imagine having a shield and you don't have joy. How are you going to use the word of God? In bitterness, in defeat, in failure. Can you see? Imagine you're operating in bitterness, disobedience, rebellion. You can't see God through the eyes of love. You'll use the word of God in a different way. So what the helmet of salvation, why is it so important to put on your head before you go to war? Why is it important for you to put the helmet of salvation before you go to war? Because the joy will allow you to fight and overcome. You can't use the word of God if you don't have joy. You can't use the word of God if you don't have joy. So someone will say, someone will say, I've got to overcome this and that. No, the issue is the cross. You, you don't understand the cross. That's the issue. The issue is the cross. You haven't understood what Jesus has done for you at the cross. You have to go back to the cross and understand that you're free. You understand? It's the, it's the cross first. That is your joy. Then you use the word of God to navigate and fight, and overcome and prevail. But the real issue is you don't understand what Jesus done on the cross and you're not knowing what, where you're going. These two major principles is what allows believers to go get joy from somewhere else. I, I believe in Jesus, but my heart's desire is the treasure for the world. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You understand? So if Satan can steal your joy, guess what happens? He steals your time. You're, you're naturally, you're naturally given to something else because you haven't understood the joy that Christ has given. So the two major issues why people struggle to have joy, they haven't understood the cross. They don't know where they're going. Someone tells me today, they offered me millions, I will not take it unless the Lord speaks in a different way for his kingdom. But I know where I'm going. I know that there is a greater joy awaiting for me when I die. And I don't know when that is, but I know that. But I've received that in my spirit. So naturally, there's, by the grace of God, there's not going to be things that are going to come and try to elude me to this place. So number one, people lack joy because they haven't understood the cross. Number two, they lack joy because they don't know where they're going. Naturally, your mind will be for the system of the world.
Are we understanding? So let's look at Hebrews quickly and break it down. Oh, sorry. I'll finish that Hebrews, not finish it. <clears throat> you see that but Nehemiah, joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus on the cross. And here, Jesus on the cross. Look what it says here now. Disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Next. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it in all the comparison with your trials. So what he's saying here, consider what Jesus went through with, with, with his life on earth. Compare your life to him and you will never be in a, in a place of bitterness because you know how much he suffered for you. You would be humble not to complain about anything. So just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it in all comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now we're going deeper now. The lack of joy, not knowing what Jesus has done for you at the cross and not knowing where you're going, guess what happens? Weariness. Begin to lose heart. You see the pattern? Does someone just stop believing in God? Does someone just stop reading the word of God? Does someone just not pray and have any motivation at all? No. The pattern is, I have no more joy. Can I ask you something here? And it's probably a, a powerful statement. Who has joy in their trials? Many will say, I've given up in the trials. I've given up in the challenges. But I learned something from Romans 5, that every challenge that comes my way is to build my character. Nothing is there to defeat me or kill me. I know this. The only thing that can kill me is my own flesh. By me complaining and murmuring. My own flesh can kill me. Do you understand? Who has joy in their trial? Because that is a son. We always speak about sonship. A son is those who go through trial and they overcome. That is a son. What does a baby do? Cries and... My dad hasn't gave me food yet. You understand? A baby? It's okay. I love you. The cross. It's okay. You'll make it. But the one who goes through trials and starts to see his heart, I can see my, I can see my fear. I can see my rejection. I can see my disobedience. And you begin to walk into the place of obedience. So you understand here, just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider in all comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What type of context is he speaking that? He's speaking about God's discipline. Because the next verses are all about the father disciplining the children. Now why is he disciplining the children? I take it back to the author and finisher of your faith. He's setting you right in his kingdom. So next scripture. 
Look here. Next scripture straight away. Imagine you not having joy of what Jesus done for you at the cross and where you're going when you die and you enter in this place. Why so many people stole their vehicle? Why so many people get discouraged? Why so many people seem to miss the mark in accepting the Father's discipline is because they lack joy. Joy and hope and gladness are your treasure that you wear on your head. Why? Because Jesus died for you and Jesus is waiting for you. You have to know this. Then what are you living for then? Paul said, if, if, the if I don't preach the resurrection, then all our preaching is vain. Yes? Paul said, if the resurrection is not true, everything that I've taught is vain. We are, we are, God is awaiting something greater. The Bible says, not even your eye can perceive what he's, what, what he's waiting for you. What does that tell you? To live for that day. Look here. You have not struggled to the point of shedding your, in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement which addresses you as a son. Now what does a son do? He accepts discipline. Now how does a believer accept discipline? What are the three major things that he needs to walk to accept discipline? Joy, hope and gladness. That what God is doing with me and through me is going to benefit me and expose something that he wants to cleanse and restore. You have to know this. God doesn't discipline for the sake of discipline. He disciplines to change. So it says here, My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. So I'll leave that there now. I don't want to go too far in that place. So quickly, to cover Hebrews chapter 12. The result of the lack of the anointing oil of joy, the lack of joy allows you to take your eyes off Jesus and to look for joy in different areas to fill the void, the world, the sin, and self. Second, the lack of joy keeps you from maturing, allows you to operate in disobedience because you have taken your eyes off Christ. Number three, the lack of joy keeps you from accomplishing the goal set before you because you have taken your eyes off him and as a result entered a place of disobedience and cannot be given responsibility. Number four, the lack of, a joy, lack of joy allows you to go through trials, weary, wounded, loss of heart, no motivation, no strength, no, no desire, and no hope. Can we go to First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 11? And I'll finish off. <clears throat> now, what's the title? That means he's speaking about the five foolish and the five wise. Yes, we agree? Okay. Now as to the times and dates, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord is coming just as a thief. 
comes unexpectedly and suddenly in the night while they are saying peace and safety, all is well and secure, then in a moment unforeseen, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a woman and a child. And they will absolutely not escape for there will be no way to escape the judgment of the Lord. Next. But you believers, now he's speaking to us. But you believers, all you who believe in Christ as Savior and acknowledge him as God's Son, are not in spiritual darkness, nor held by its powers, that the day of judgment would overtake you by surprise like a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We do not belong to the night nor to the darkness. So then let us not sleep in spiritual indifference as the rest of the world does, but let us keep wide awake, alert and cautious, and let us sober, let us be sober, self-controlled, calm and wise. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we believers belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, and love and the helmet of what? Hope. That is your hope that Jesus will come to receive us. Can you see? A lot of people, a lot of people are struggling with hope and it's affecting their journey because they don't know what Jesus done at the cross and how Jesus is going to come to get us. It shows you what type of attitude you have to be in regards to faith. Now look what it says here. And the helmet of hope and the confidence, assurance of salvation. For God has not destined us to incur his wrath. That is, he did not select us to condemn us, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died willingly for us, so that whether we are awake alive or asleep dead, at Christ appearing, we will live together with him, sharing eternal life. Therefore, encourage and comfort one another and build, one up, build up one another just as you are doing. You see how important it is to have this hope, this joy, this gladness? How many people have this in their life? Naturally, if you don't have this joy in you, naturally you'll get it from the world. Make no mistake, wherever your heart is navigating for you each day, whatever your mind is saying to you each day is where your joy is. Are you understanding? So if you're struggling to pray, naturally there's something else that's taking you, either yourself, sin, or the world. Make no mistake. But just understand something, that if Satan can attack your joy, guess what happens? Naturally, you, you want to get it from somewhere else. So the helmet of salvation is what? Joy that Jesus ransomed you. It's very important to understand this. Because once you understand the depth of the cross, you surrender naturally. You surrender. You know that you're safe in Him. That is the key. That is the treasure. Are you safe in yourself? Are you safe in your bank account? 
Are you safe in your job? Jesus wants that to be in him. And this is something that brings a great discipline to you when you know this. Because it demands a trust. So that anointing of the head is what? What Jesus died on the cross and where you're going. You see there? Hebrews talks about Jesus on the cross, that he's your perfecter, the author and the finisher of your faith. He uh, speaks about the helmet of hope, him waiting for us. Now, every day you're meant to be in this type of attitude, in fear? No. In a place where you're communing with the, with the Holy Spirit, you're in his presence. Nothing's changed when he comes because you've known him and prepared. So Satan attacks one major thing. He attacks your joy. When you don't know what he done for you at the cross, and when you don't know what he's waiting for you, naturally you get your joy from here, the world. So we'll pray now. Sur surrendering to the Lord Jesus has never been a place of a burden or a place where it's too, too hard. You've got to understand that the way the scripture tells us that we surrender because of the joy in our heart. Nothing else. I want you to understand this. That we surrender to the Lord not out of obligation, not forced, but because of the joy of what he done for us. You see, that's how you know that the cross has truly touched you. It's the joy. The greatest fruits of the Spirit is what? What is the greatest fruits of the Spirit? Is what? Love and then joy. That is the key. Once the love of God comes into you, you have joy. What does Satan attack? Your joy. And you have no joy. What comes next? Faith, joy, and what? Peace. You have no peace. You have no hope. But you have to understand how the Holy Spirit navigates in this area. So many people's joy is attacked. They are bitter. They are hard. They're burnt out. They're frustrated. They're trying to change out of those aspects. You can't change. You cannot change out of these aspects. Out of these principles, no one can change. Because how can you taste and see out of bitterness, resentment, empty, frustrated, hard? You can't taste and see the Lord is good out of this place. You can't. That's why so many people, they are not maturing. Because they're drinking from another brook. I know him to be a hard man. So I learned. I learned before all these aspects in my life, before there's any form of condemnation, guilt, unworthiness, delay, failure, I know that God loves me, He's patient with me, and He cares for me.
This is a simple teaching for many people here, but it's the truth that will kickstart you to have true joy. Joy is what allows you to mature. That is the key. The greatest key is that joy would allow you to accept discipline. That is the key. The true joy that was spoken about in Hebrews led to the Father's discipline. And when a person that says, I, I, I don't want to be disciplined, they, they naturally complain. Why does it have to be this way? I want it this way. They want to steer their vehicle. That's why the Holy Spirit struggles to get people where they need to be. Because they want to steer the vehicle. And how do you let him steer the vehicle every day? When you're naturally with him. He's leading and guiding you through your mind, through your heart, and through all the things that need change. But imagine you are doing this and there's no joy. You'd be a very difficult 